Thank you, Jim. Thank you all for coming out tonight. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure to, to get to listen to a lot of different voices as we've uh, been in this these last few months. And it's been a special privilege for me a couple times to get to, to share God's word and to just enjoy uh, the, the, the fellowship of family as we come together. Tonight's uh, sermon is going to be on Christ, our Passover lamb, uh, it's going to be mostly based in Mark chapter 14, although we'll be jumping around to several different passages as we go throughout the evening. The setting is Egypt, and the mood is a feeling of chaos. Egypt has just been devastated by a series of nine plagues, and this wasn't just a string of bad luck for the people. God is in the midst of judging Egypt. More than that, God was keeping a promise that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob back as, as early as Genesis 15, but all the way through to Exodus chapter 2. He swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their children would have the land of Canaan for an inheritance. Yet they've been stuck in Egypt now for almost 430 years. And it's time for God to get them out and to bring them home. But first, there's one last plague, the most severe of all the plagues. Israel has been exempted with all, or at least most of, the previous plagues. They always had a way out. For example, in Exodus chapter 9, it, their, their cattle didn't die. Their crops were not hailed upon. And even their land didn't go dark. They haven't done anything to avoid the other plagues. God has simply just aimed away from them. The final plague will be different, though. God will be aiming at everyone this time, everyone that doesn't follow his plan. And apart from some unforeseen circumstance, God is going to strike down all the firstborns in Egypt including the firstborn of Israel, if they do not remember him and set themselves apart through the sacrifice of a lamb and the marking of their home. When the death angel passes over, it doesn't matter whether it's cattle, whether it's the Pharaoh. They were all going to be struck down. Why? He wants them to remember that this is the night that they are being brought out. This is the night that genuinely brings Pharaoh to his knees. And they are never to worship after the gods of Egypt or the gods of, that they are going to see in the land coming to them. He wants them to remember. He wants them to worship after him and him alone. This was a part of his plan and a part of the, the redemption of his people that are following after the lineage of Abraham. The message of the tenth plague is that God is both holy and just. But the message of the Passover is that God is also merciful. On that first Passover, God devised a way in which he could be both just and merciful simultaneously. And he provided the plan to the people. Since that fateful day, Israel celebrates Passover week annually to remember a just and at the same time 
merciful God. The books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all go through a passage where they tell of the way that Israel was commanded to remember how they were bought and redeemed from slavery in a one-week celebration that begins with a special meal consisting of the fruit of the vine, special herbs, unleavened bread, and the Passover lamb. But now let's switch scenes from the Passover of the ancient past to a, to a very special one during the final week that's of Jesus' life. The Sunday before Passover is one of the most critical days in the Bible. It was the day each family selected a lamb for the Passover sacrifice and presented it to the priest to be inspected and declared worthy of being sacrificed. But just before the triumphal entry of that final week, Jesus is at the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, celebrating the resurrection of Lazarus when Mary comes in. In John chapter 12, we see a short snippet after the resurrection or the rising of, of Lazarus. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who he, he was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what he was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now this was the first time in the immediate days leading up to his execution that Jesus had received this blessing, this anointing. Martha earlier had, that day had proclaimed him as the Christ before the raising of Lazarus. But now they're seeing the town of Bethany start to go down to be purified. It's only a couple of miles into, into Jerusalem and they're, getting, they're going to be ceremonially cleansed for the Passover. But Mary stays behind with Jesus and the disciples and they're anointing and she's anointing his feet and thanking him for the miracle and acknowledging his presence. This was also later that day that Jesus presented himself to his people in the triumphal entry on the donkey's colt. In Luke 19, we see that story. He also goes into the temple. He was questioned by authorities for the next few days. But this was the day that God revealed to his people where their peace would come from as he wept over Jerusalem. The Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, and elders have joined forces to destroy Jesus, but Jesus demonstrates that he truly is anointed, not just, not just with the nard that, that Mary put on his feet, but with the, with the Holy Spirit. as He's able to answer all the questions of the religious leaders. In Mark chapter 14, we see that Jesus is, is able to answer all those questions because even though they tried to throw controversial, controversial topics at the time to him, he was able to answer every single one. He was able to answer with the wisdom of God. And, and because of this, he was winning the people's hearts through both the compassion that he showed them and the authority that he demonstrated of scriptures. 
But now, as we enter the end of that week, we're now entering into the, the Thursday morning of that final week. This is, uh, there's, there's another time in Scripture where you see it in Luke chapter 7. But for the second time in a single week, we see his being anointed. A woman is anointing Jesus with perfume once again. At the home of Simon the leper, there's an unidentified woman who anoints Jesus' head. In Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, uh, and while some of these details look like they may be overlapping, if we just read this at a surface level, because we still see the argument about the 300 denarii, we still see it about that, but these are obviously distinct ones, because one of them is the anointing of the feet, this one is the anointing of the head. There's, um, let's take a look at this for just a moment that shows how these are unique. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There was some who said it to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Jesus praises her gracious act of worship that prepares him for his burial that's only going to be a day away. To understand the significance of this, let's take a look at some of the rituals that are surrounding the Passover, specifically the picking of the Passover sheep. The Passover sheep were picked six days ahead of time or on the 10th day of Nisan. That's the first month of the Jewish calendar. This enabled them to be, to be brought into the family home and reviewed and to, to, to look at them and examine them for that time to make sure that they truly were healthy, that they were full, and that they were complete. They were assessed to guarantee that the, that the sheep were free from any flaws. And specifically on that sixth day before Passover, they were to, they were to look and take a look at their, their, their legs, their lower legs, their feet, to make sure that they were not harmed or their hoofs had been set apart as they had been in the rough slopes surrounding Jerusalem or the area of Israel. After examination, they would take the blessing oil and they would rub it in to the lower legs and feet so that, so that any, any cuts that might have been there would be completely healed by, by the oil. Now, there's a second blessing that happens of the lamb. The second blessing of the lamb happens two days before the Passover. The Passover sheep were blessed the second time on their head to be declared that they were free from sickness or flaw. This is because the family had been examining them for the week, and now that they've seen them, they've been in, in close contact with them, they, they anoint their head with oil. You catch the symbolism and the timing before this meal. Six days before the Passover meal, just like the Passover lamb, Jesus' feet were anointed. And then two days before the Passover meal, the head of Jesus was blessed. Before he was executed, he was anointed, symbolizing that he was clean, that he was full, that he was complete. He is without ailment or without deformity. Jesus was anointed as the Passover lamb. 
even before the crucifixion, the plan was, of God was falling into place. But the story continues as Jesus fulfills the prophecy and the shadows that were set in place for many ages. As evening approached, they partook of the Passover dinner on that Thursday night at twilight. It is pointed out that they were reclining as Jews do for this meal. In Mark chapter 14, verse 17, it, it reads, And when it was evening, he came with the twelve as they were reclining at table and eating. They do this, they, this, Mark specifically points this out because for the Passover, they were reminded that free men recline. It wasn't because they didn't have chairs. It was because free men in that day and time reclined because that, that was a symbol of actual prosperity. You were clean enough to sit and, and lay, lay around a table together. And the Jews were reminded that they had been, that they were free, that they were freed men no longer being slaves in Egypt. But this Passover meal, even though it started the same, it's about to take a very different turn. This was no longer to signify the miracles that we read about in the book of Exodus with the ten plagues coming to a head on that final night with the angel of death. But it's about, it was no longer about the, the Jews who obeyed and slaughtered the lamb and put the lamb's blood on the doorpost. Jesus is now pointing out to them that the Passover will mean something totally different. It's now to mean that he is the lamb. He is the one that's to be offered to save humanity, not from a one-time one Passover of the angel of death, but from eternal death. Jesus is the one, and he's trying to make it obvious to, to them. But just in case they didn't get it, Jesus still carries on as they sat around the table eating the foods for the Passover. They ate of all the different elements that each meant something in remembering how their people were delivered by a just and merciful God. And there's lots of different symbols that go along with it, but Jesus specifically points out two things from this that we, are, that we carry forward. In this meal, Jesus gives them the better, a better gift, a better way to remember with these specific things in the Last Supper a way of remembering everything that was happening around them and everything that was about to happen in the next couple of days. The, woman, the women there, they gave a great expensive gift, and Jesus says the anointing will be told as a part of the gospel, but his gift is the gospel. It is the full good news. And he, because he was about to lay down his life, and he wants us to remember that his gift was even more precious than the Passover, the gift of the, of, the, of the Jews coming out of Egypt. His gift is eternal. So he turns some of the parts of the Passover into a new symbol that we remember each week as we worship. In Mark chapter 14, we see uh, this telling of the, the Lord's Supper. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing, he broke it, it and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and we had given thanks. He gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The Jews, as they ate their, their meal, there's Passover meal, they, they ate matzah, 
or unleavened bread because they remembered the time that there was no time for them to wait. They couldn't wait for the yeast to rise because they were getting ready to go. When Pharaoh told the Jews to go, they were to leave right then without hesitation. But the yeast also meant sin. And Jesus had used the metaphor earlier uh, that the leaven of the Pharisees represented the sin of the Pharisees. So when he says, take, eat, this is my body, he says, my life was without sin. Remember that I led a sinless life and be holy like me. Be thankful for the time that I was here teaching you how to be in a relationship with God. Give thanks and be holy just as I am holy. Paul uses the same analogy in, in, when he's teaching the church at Corinth to rid themselves of sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and beginning in verse 6, he says, Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you truly are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Paul has commanded the Christians in Corinth to gather as the church and to remove from among them the man that's known to be going on in an ongoing relationship with his father's wife at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. To drive home how important this is, Paul used the metaphor of leavened bread during the Jewish Passover celebration. Jewish people were to remove any trace of leaven from their homes and eat only unleavened bread for an entire week. In the previous verse, Paul wrote that the Christians in Corinth were already unleavened or purified. This is because Christ, the Passover lamb, had already died to pay the price for all their sin. The time had come for the Corinthians to live up to what they already were. They must remove the sin from among them that Christ died for. Paul calls them to celebrate the festival. He does not seem to mean, though, that they should observe the Passover celebration. Instead, he is saying that they should always be in a spirit of celebrating the truth, that Christ's blood had paid for their sin. And we are in that same habit today as we still remember this on a weekly basis. We remember that we are to remove sin from among us and remember how Jesus' blood, how his body represents that, that unleavened material. So now let's take a look at that second symbol that Jesus points out on the table, the, the fruit of the vine. In the Passover, there were actually four different cups of wine that were spread throughout the Passover setter that they drank. First one is Kadesh, the wine of sanctification that's that gets them ready to partake in the meal. Then they have Megid, which is the telling of the, tab, the, the Passover story, which uh, usually involves some, whenever this cup was drank, some youth, that would be their signal to say, why are we doing this? And then, this, then somebody would, would come and uh, an elder uh, patriarch in the family would tell the story of the Passover. But the one that Jesus is referencing is, is Barak, and I'll come back to that one in a second. The fourth one, is Hillel, songs of praise. That's when they go out onto the Mount of Olive and they, they sing songs of praise at the Mount of Olive. But the, the one I'm coming back to, Barak, the reason this is the one that, that we're looking at is this was the one that was immediately after the meal. And we know that he'd already taken the bread and broken that. So this is the, this is the one that we're looking at here. Barak means the cup of redemption. It commemorates the shed blood 
of the innocent lamb that, brought, that bought redemption from Egypt. Still now, it represents the greater redemption provided by the shed blood of Jesus. This barek, the cup, the cup of redemption, is what we partake of. Imagine the impact that this must have had on those disciples. They had celebrated the Passover for many years. Every year they drank that cup of redemption to commemorate the physical deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. And previously this deliverance was symbolically paid for by the death of an innocent lamb. But Jesus, of course, joyfully celebrated this historical deliverance as well. And it was a miracle of God that it happened so many years ago. But what is amazing about this meal is that Jesus expands the meaning of those symbols to, to him. For believers in the early church, the third cup would now also commemorate the spiritual redemption from the bondage of sin and death. This redemption would likewise be, be purchased by the death of an innocent sacrifice. Not the Passover lamb, but of the greater fulfillment, the lamb of God, the Messiah himself. As the disciples raised that cup of redemption, they were to remember the blood of the lamb in Egypt. Now the spiritual message would be fulfilled as Jesus said, this cup is my blood of the covenant. Every week, we partake of the Lord's Supper during worship. We eat little pieces of cracker and we drink some grape juice. And, and the church in Corinth, Paul got onto them because they were using it to get full. I don't know how you get full off of those. They were eating full meals. Um, but some, the, the, what we do wouldn't do that. But that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of this is to remember. It's not to have a moment of silence like you do at the start of a school day. It's not just to, it's not to do that, it's to remember. It's to remember two things. One, that the lamb was perfect and without blemish. And to reflect on our own lives. Are we living up to the calling of Jesus? And then second, when we take the fruit of the vine, that the lamb was shed for when we don't measure up. For when we do sin, as we know we all do, and according to Romans 3.23, and be thankful for that blood of the lamb that purchases our redemption. Each week as we gather and as we go from out this place, because it's not just a once a week thing. Every day, this, that's, a, that's our weekly reminder to, to, to keep that at the front of our mind. But we go out and we live our lives as though we were purchased by the Lamb. Tonight, if we can help you through prayer or through study of the Bible, this is your opportunity to remember and to be in communion with the body of believers here. Communion is about the partaking of that meal, but communion is more than that. It's about the fellowship we have with one another. It's a, it, we can always take the opportunity if you want to come at this time as we stand and as we sing.